Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nixon. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast. We're today's guest, honestly, could be the greatest guest we've had on here. This will probably be, I don't know what episode this will end up being, 64, 65, somewhere in that range. And for the first time, I'm actually stumped on introducing this human because this person has done so much. Well, um, our guest today is one Dr. Terry Wurzbacher. She is someone who has served in the U.S. Navy as a physician for more than 29 years, during which that time she uh, grew a passion for endurance running and walking, overcoming multiple challenges in her seven decades. Yes, seven decades. She has an exceptional understanding of techniques and attitudes that can help all of us avoid and overcome the stumbling blocks to smooth sailing. On top of that, she's written several different books, one of which I have in front of me right here. It's not about the miles. It's Lessons Learned from the Road, which kind of chronicles her 2021 uh, Vol State 500 race, which we're definitely going to get into. Um, there are so from the Navy, she went into the Army and served in the disability system. Um, she has a great blog out there like there are so many things that I honestly can't name them all but I want to say thank you for coming on um the podcast today and allowing us to have a, a conversation thanks John I don't think I can afford paying you for that introduction <laughs> all right I'm gonna ask you a tough question okay. and I have not asked anybody else this question but I feel like I feel like a you can handle it and b I want to hear your answer when I interview somebody for a position um, on the football staff here in Nixon, Missouri, this is the first question I ask them. And this is hard, okay? Give me your life story in less than five minutes. Go. Boy, I don't even think it'll take five minutes. Um, when I was four years old, God told me I was going to be a doctor. So my entire life was propelled towards that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that got a little derailed when I was in college and uh, my first application, I got rejected. I had to then, oh my God, get a job. I wasn't trained for that. Then I applied the next year. I got rejected again and I just kept applying and I finally got accepted, which was great. Um, so I went to an osteopathic school and I'm an osteopath and I'm very glad I am osteopathy. I could have a whole podcast on that, but at any rate, I then needed to pay for my last year of medical school and I joined the Navy so that they would pay for my education. 
I was only going to stay the two years I owed them. And 29 and a half years later, I finally retired. Um, but during that time, I had a tremendous career. I was very fortunate. I got to go to Guatemala and take care of people. Um, the, and I worked with the Flying Samaritans. So I had all these opportunities to help people and not have to deal with the crappy medical system that involved billing and all of that and just be able to help people. I got interested in running because I tore my ACL. That's a whole nother long story. But that led me down the road to endurance running because I got shin splints. That's a different story. Um, my life has just been weird, but everything always works out for me. You know that from Dr. Gilbert's podcast. And then I retired from the Navy and I went to work for the Army. I didn't join the Army. Um, so I worked for them for 16 years here in San Antonio, and then I retired right at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. So um, that's enabled me to write more and walk more and go to different events. So that's pretty much the summary. That's a that's a pretty good summary, and that's there's a lot in there. This is one of my first questions that, and this is actually a Dr. Gilbert question. How many times would you have applied for medical school? Forever. That's all I wanted to do, even when I got rejected. Um, I got a job as a key punch operator. I'm sure none of your listeners even know what that is. I'm so old. Um, that didn't last very long. They told me I could quit or get fired, so I quit. And eventually, once again, everything worked out for me. I got a job in this small Catholic hospital. This was in Burlington, Vermont, and it was a satellite hospital to the main one in Burlington. Um, and I worked... <laughs> if you knew me, I'm very much a sailor, even before I joined the Navy, got a job working for these nuns that had to put up with me. Uh, but it was the best opportunity. I got epilepsy during that time. So I couldn't drive to and from work. They let me stay in the hospital for the three weeks while my um, medication was taking effect. And I then met the doctor who told me about osteopathy and it just all worked out perfectly. And I don't remember what the question was. So I apologize. No, that's okay. That's okay. Like, you know, the, the question was how many times would you have applied and you would have applied over and over and over and over. Like there was not going to be a moment where you would have stopped, you know, let me ask you this. Why does Dr. Gilbert, you know, consider you the mentally, the most mentally toughest athlete in America? I pay him enough too. <laughs> you have no clue. I'm certainly not. Um, I think he's just impressed with my age. That's all. Well, I'm going to tell you what, um, Dr. Terry, that there is, there is some impressive stuff and we're going to get there. I want to go back. I want to go back just a little bit and you, you know, coach me up on at four years old, you knew you wanted to be a doctor. Tell me, tell me about that, how that came about and, you know, what, what did that uh, feel like to know that at that early? Because most people don't know, you know, most people don't know. I didn't know I wanted to be a coach until I got into college. You know, like, how did that happen for you? I was, I can remember I lived in Great Neck, New York, and we had what I considered a big house, which isn't now, but as a little kid, it was with this, like, what do you call it, walkway and lined by azaleas. And I was at the end of the walkway and all of a sudden, People can laugh at this, but God said, you're going to be a doctor. That was all. That was it. And that just got stuck inside of me, which was good because that's what it was supposed to do. Sure. And my life was just propelled towards that one goal. That's why I never learned to do anything else. I was very active in sports, 
but making it to be a doctor um, was the most important thing. However, that was my first lesson also, because I never thought beyond I want to, or I'm going to be a doctor, which meant at graduation from medical school, it was like, Kesara sera, is that all there is? Uh, I hadn't, what am I going to do now? I've achieved my goal. So that's why I always encourage mm. people to have a goal after this big thing, whether it's a marathon, a, a race, a job, whatever, you have to have something that you're aiming for afterwards. Otherwise, you get way down in the dumps. You know, one of a book I'm reading right now that I think, you know, uh, is really good. It's called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Okay. And what the second mountain, the philosophy is, sometimes we spend a lifetime trying to climb that first mountain of success or being a doctor or, and we get to the top of the mountain and we're like, there's got to be more than this. So then we start climbing a second mountain that actually means more to us or, um, you know, is maybe a different is more of a significant mountain instead of a successful mountain. And, you know, I think that is fantastic. And I think that's kind of, you know, what you're saying and that, you know, one of my favorite sections in this book, one of, one of the books Dr. Terry wrote is it's not about the miles lessons from the road, which I said, chronicles her race, uh, the Vol state 500 in 2021. And man, this book is unbelievably written, you know, like I'm a reader. Okay. I've, I've read for the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, I have awoken every single morning of my life and I've read for a minimum of 30, sometimes an hour, hour and a half. So that's probably a hundred books a year, 2000 books. And this book, the way it's written is phenomenal, you know, with all of the quotes, all of the, the 14 life lessons early in the book, just fantastic. You know, things that, you know, you have learned throughout your time that, you know, are just outstanding. Um, childhood, you know, you're, you're t tell me, I've heard this said often, you know, a lot of times as kids, we catch more than from our parents than, you know, they actually teach us, you know, like, what did you catch? Like growing up, what was, what was childhood like for you? Um, basically it sucked. Um, and that's, a big part of my other book, From Tipping Point to Turning Point, yep. uh, talks about the effects of the dysfunctional childhood. My life was impacted significantly by alcohol. Um, and then I had an older brother who was the opposite of me. He was of the philosophy that negative attention is better than no attention. And since I was the goody two-shoes, he had to do all the bad things. So it was um, dynamically horrible. But I did learn basic like we talked about before, number one, discipline. Number two, get there early. <laughs> you know, right. don't ever be late. And that, that stuck with me forever. Um, and I learned the value of hard work and honesty and integrity. You get take away all the crap. Those are the basic core values that I developed. Well, let me ask you this. And why do, how can two people, and this is not uncommon, this is very common. How can a brother, two brothers, two sisters, a brother and a sister, grow up in the same family with the same dysfunction and take totally different paths? Well, in my instance, I think it really all boils down to, I had, uh, my brother was four and a half years older than me. 
I ended up having a little brother who was, I was 13 months when he was born, but he died of crib death at, uh, I guess he was 16 months, I, I was 16 months, he was six weeks. And I think the effects of the grief, I don't know this, but just in trying to figure out what's been going on, the effects of the grief on a 13 month old or 16 month old, which was me, are a lot different than the effects of grief on a, I guess he would have been five and a half at that point. Sure. Um, and I'm pretty sure just from the tiny bits of memories that I have that my mother was pretty hard hit by all of that. So with that age difference, I think people respond differently. And whether there is a, a death in the family, a dysfunction or what, it's all how people interpret things and what they considered, what their limbic system considers to be danger. I interpreted one thing as danger, my brother interpreted other things. And I think that's a big part of what goes on in all of these families. Well, did you have, you know, as you grew up through your childhood, was there, you know, was there a single person? Was there a group? Was there someone who, you know, you kind of uh, learned from or was drawn to, to be a better example? Not until 1985. And I was, I can't even do the math, but I was a, a lot older. I was in my thirties or forties at that point. Wow. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I just simply, I was one-minded. It was simply going to be a doctor. So I didn't need other influence because I knew what I was going to be. You know, it really screwed up my development. My personality was obnoxious still is, but it's a lot less. But in 1985, <laughs> I met this woman here in San Antonio where I was stationed, um, who was a metaphysical minister, and she taught me a lot. And that's actually where I got the expression and the mantra, everything always works out for me. So since 1985, I've been saying that, and I didn't believe it. I thought it was BS to begin with, but the more you say things, it eventually, I could look back and go, oh, well, I got epilepsy. That was a great thing because of X, Y, and Z. And then I tore my ACL and that led to this. That, I mean, everything bad that happened actually turned out for the good. You know, I absolutely love that saying. And it was one of the quotes that I have circled. And it is, everything always works out for my good. Well, for me. Everything always works out for me. And I'm going to tell you something. I 100% believe that. Because I 100% believe that God has a plan for all of us and his plan is right according to him. It may not be right according to me, but it's going to work out for me. You know, right. I look back in 1999, I got fired from a high school job. Okay. At the time, that was one of the worst days of my life. I look back on it now because of that day. It was honestly one of the best days of my life because I got fired. I got a job with the greatest high school football coach in the state of Mississippi and everything changed, you know, so everything works out for me. Tell me this. How did you um, how did you meet this person um, in 1985? Who, who was that person? How did that come to be? Well, her name is Dr. Ann Kuhn. She's passed away now, but that's another funny story. Um, I had just been in a relationship and been dumped and I met this other woman who had been in a relationship and been dumped. So every Wednesday we would go have evening, we'd have coffee or something together. And this one Wednesday she calls up and she says, um, I'm not going to go to coffee with you, Terry, or dinner. Um, 
these two other women, I can't remember their names. I'm going to go to this church of today with them. And I went, what the, I'm sorry, I forgot we were meeting. <laughs> what the heck is that? And she goes, it's some metaphysical thing. Well, I didn't know what metaphysics was, but I didn't care. I didn't want to be alone. So I said, okay, I'll come along. I come along. And I went and this woman started talking and everything she explained about metaphysics, which is Dr. Gilbert talks about it when he talks about Eric Butterworth, but he doesn't ever use that word. I don't think he wants people to think he's woo-woo. Sure. Um, but everything she talked about was everything that I believed in life. It, I just never had a name for it or a label for it. And so I started going there and then that I got very involved with that. And that's been my life ever since is metaphysics. So okay. it's another one of those weird things of how it happened. Well, that's another one of those things where, you know, I think God puts in our path what is intended for us. Give me a brief, like what, a brief description. What is metaphysics? Okay. Cause I'm a high school football coach. Well, basically it's uh, the, there's vibrations in the universe. People call it God, Buddha, whatever they want, but it's this universal law and your vibrations um, will bring to you everything that's in accordance. And that's where the law of attraction came in. And unfortunately, and fortunately, the law of attraction became the only thing that people cared about. And there's a lot of other universal laws, but it's your thoughts create what you get. Um, if you think negative things, you're going to get negative things. And that happens continuously. And you have to learn to monitor and regulate your thoughts. That, that's the best way to put it. There's a lot of other universal laws, like the law of supply and demand. Yep. People they hold on to things because of scarcity, and yet they don't realize if they give them away, they actually get more, that type of thing. I understand. I, I got you. And that, you know, one like the universal law of attraction, you know, like that is, that would be a part of that. You know, yeah. like sometimes oh. what you think about the most are the things that will come to fruition in your life. You know, right. let me ask you this because, you know, being in the military for so long, what were what were there challenges uh, at that time that presented itself because you were a female? You know, were there things at the time that you would consider challenging because, you know, you were a female? That's a really interesting question. Not so much in the medical field. Um, that was probably one of the reasons it took me so long to get into medical school. Because as it turns out, and I didn't, this is so funny, I didn't realize this even until about six months ago, that I got in most likely on Title IX when that was uh, put into law. We were told eventually, or we found out, there were nine women that were accepted, and it turned out that the government was going to give the school a grant or a certain amount of money if they would take X number of women. And so we got lucky. I don't really care because I got in. Sure. Uh, but so I had had that experience, not even realizing it was a female thing in in the medical field. If it was there, I really didn't pay attention to it. Um, the Navy probably on the ships had a lot of difficulty because women took forever to get on the ships. But I really never experienced much of that, even in my job as a civilian with the Army. There was, we had one boss who was really misogynistic and he got relieved of command, which is very hard to do. You have to be a real screw up. 
Um, but he was never that way to me. It was just the other women. So I've been, once again, very fortunate that that kind of thing hasn't happened to me. So. Yeah, that's that's um, that's outstanding. That was a great answer. Let me ask you, when did, you know, when did the walking, the ultra racing, when did that come about? And what was, you know, like, why? Okay, well, here we go again. <laughs> when I was... Um, I don't even know, 1993, 92, I tore my ACL playing softball. So I had surgery and six months went by and I went, oops, it's time for softball practice. I better see if I can run on this because I was a catcher and I had to run to first base. Um, and I couldn't run. I was fat. I was smoked, um, obviously out of shape, and I couldn't run to the light pole down the road. So I made... <laughs> I made a vow that I was going to run to the end of the block, which was three tenths of a mile. And I was going to do it until I could do it without stopping. And that was it. Then I was going to go play softball. Well, it only took a week, but by that point I was hooked. Now, how did I get into the long distance running was <laughs> I would get these horrible shin splints and they would start pretty much right away. And I'd have to stop rumba mount, go a little bit, stop. So I couldn't, you know, five miles, three miles was nothing. But it turns out they would go away after either 45 minutes or three to four miles. I've always been slow. So I endured it through that during time, but I wanted to keep running because at that point it was enjoyable. And that's how I ended up doing a marathon within the first year after I um, was running because I couldn't run these short distances without the pain. Dr. Terry, okay, one of the questions Dr. Gilbert wanted me to ask you was, he said at one point in time, and you just verified it, you did smoke and you was overweight, okay? So you hurt your leg playing softball, and at that time, which somewhere around 92 or 93, give me a ballpark. What age are you in 92 or 93? That's not fair. Make me do math. I was born <laughs> in 58, so 58, 68, 78, I don't know, 40 something. Okay. Okay. So let's just say, let's just use mid forties. So at that point in time, you really weren't running or walking. You were playing softball. You hurt your leg and you're smoking and you're overweight. So you decide you're going to, you know, run down the street about three quarters of a mile, or you're going to run down the street until you can do it without stopping. And, you never stopped from that point forward? Like, did you ever, and I ask that because I have recently, I'm 52, but about 18 months ago, two years ago, I decided that I was going to walk down the end of my street and back. I had gotten up way, like I was over 400 pounds and I had been an athlete in college, you know, like I didn't know it. Like I, I just went to the doctor at 50 years old for the first time in my life and got on some scales and it floored me. So I walk down the end of my cul-de-sac and back and I have a panic attack. Like I can't breathe. And it really made me mad. So I decided I was going to start doing it every day until I could do it. And then, you know, it led to a 30 minute walk jog that I have continued to do, but I have struggled at times when I can do it at five o'clock in the morning. I'm religious, but if, if a little adversity hits or, you know, we're out of, you know, like I have struggled with that 
here recently. So going back to my question, did you, during that time from 92, 93 to now, were there ever periods where you did fall off and you stopped or were you pretty consistent throughout? I was pretty consistent unless I had some injuries um, or I think when I slowed down a little bit was in when I first moved here in 2000, I retired in 2004. So 2004 to 2006, I switched to biking. I don't really know why, but I, my weight was going way up at that point, but I've really been consistent until 2016 when I got shingles. And then in 2007, I got the post shingles nerve pain. Then in 2017, I was really sick and in the hospital for five weeks over three months. And so it was after that, because I had stopped running, I ended up just sticking to walking. But okay. that was the reason for my any kind of break, really. What enabled you to go through the different bouts of adversity? Because as you well know, a lot of times uh, we can be doing really well. And when we bounce up on some adversity, we stop. But you didn't stop. You know, whether no matter what the injury was, no matter you always went back to it. You know, what why do you think you were able to do that and not ever get sidetracked and get away from it? Was it your love for it or you know, yeah. you're you're just disciplined? No, I, well, maybe there's some discipline. Um, but I started running at night. Um, when I had really weird, weird hours, I was in D.C. and I commuted 120 miles a day. Um, but really, the major reason I ran at night was because I was so fat. I was embarrassed and I don't run well. So it was all that I could hide. And that just had worked in my schedule both there and here, even even though I don't commute, didn't commute that much here. But it really was my love for it. I was devastated in 2016 when I couldn't run anymore because of this nerve pain from the shingles okay well i don't think the the vol state 500 let's just fast forward and that may not be the most difficult race you've ever done i'm not sure but for the folks listening i want them to understand this if you google the vol state 500 it's a 314 mile race that goes through it starts maybe in Missouri, goes through Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama. I think it ends up in Georgia. It's 314 miles that you have to finish in 10 days. And there is, I don't remember what you call it, but there is a an imaginary somebody chasing you that if they catch you, you're out. You know what I'm saying? Like That's Oprah. Okay. Yeah, Oprah, Oprah. Oprah's chasing you, so... In that race, you also have the opportunity when you sign up for the race to go crude or screwed, okay? So what I want you to do is explain crude or screwed, and then I want you to explain the mindset of wanting to attack a 314-mile race with seven decades of experience up under your belt. Like, that just blows me away. Like, I'm sitting here right now, one of my goals is to run a 5K. Okay. All right. And I don't, you're, you're, I think you're 74. 75. Oh, 75. And you just went 314. And I'm sitting here 
scared of a 5k so you're really making me feel inferior right now but that's okay it's goals man like i'm shooting for like you you inspire me to be better and to want to do more but what drives you to want to get into the vol state 500 and then you know talk about the crude and the screwed part well first of all crude and screwed um Really, the goal is to finish it screwed, and that means that you have to carry everything on your back that you need for 10 days. You either carry it or you could buy it in a convenience store, but there's no aid stations. There's our angel stations, but that's a different story. But you are responsible for yourself. Um, it's there's You have to find a place to sleep, whether it's a cemetery, a Dollar General, or motel you can go there but you are responsible for yourself and you keep going as best you can if you're crude that means you can have someone with you they can carry your pack for you which can be heavy because you have to carry all the food and water um you can't ride in the car but you can stop they can hand you this that i mean it's your valet service in a sense it, it, it still is you have to cover the 314 miles but it's a little bit easier sure. you also um, one of the problems I have during this race, although last year, I, this past year, I was lucky, um, is I'm so slow. I'm always at the back and it's social isolation. You don't always see a lot of other people. Now, the race has changed a lot and there are what's called road angels. And these are local people that will come and they'll set up elaborate chairs on the side they'll give you food and water it's amazing and that's really the reason that i go back now is because they're like my family but it's also a challenge it's can i do it and i'm always very close um to the cutoff point um, i've been better the last two years and the last two years i finally finished screwed one year i was crude the whole way and then i think two other years i ended up having to switch to crew and then in in 21 was when um, you read about Ward and Paul, he crewed me. But in 22 and 23, I was able to finish it screwed. And that was the best feeling in my entire life was to be able to accomplish that finally. I've been trying this since 2014. Brady caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment. That is absolutely unbelievable. You know, and, and then when you say that's one of the best feelings you've ever had, what you know from from jogging or running down the street three quarters of a mile you know back in whatever year that was you started when did the thought of i'm gonna get into racing or i'm gonna enter a contest like you know like i've not gotten there yet i'm uh, about two years into my trying to you know walk jog you know when did that come about and wh where did that thought process come from that actually started really early. I wanted to, once I realized that I could only do long distance races, I had uh, tried a few short ones, but again, my shin splints messed that up. So I wanted to get in the New York City Marathon because I was, well, I'm from New York, but I was living in um, 
Virginia at that time. So that was my first goal. And I think 1994 was my first marathon. Wow. And I just love the long distances. In 2012, I think it was, I was on this ultra list. I did a fat ass, which is totally unsupported, 50 miler. And I don't remember what year it was, but that's when I first got into ultras and I got the bug. And so I had the, this ultra list on email. We didn't have all the internet stuff at that point. Um, and then in 2012, there was all this chatter about this thing called Ball State. And it because they didn't have Facebook, they would post everything in email after email. And I would sit at my computer glued to it. And it just was like a virus. I got it and I can't get rid of it. So that was when I thought, well, this shit, there's no way that I can possibly do this. And then I finally got the guts to enter it until 2014. In fact, there's a woman that really drives me nuts, but mm-hmm. she almost encouraged me because at the race there's a thing called the night uh, the last supper the night before and she comes over and she goes are you who are you crewing as a <laughs> so old and decrepit that i couldn't be running so that almost made me walk out but i got my big girl panties on and i kept going that is unbelievable and so inspiring there's there's a video that i will put in the show notes that dr gilbert shared with me today it's Corey reese the last annual Vol State. It's a it's a deal on YouTube where he kind of in about an eight or nine minute video, you follow him through the race. It's really good. So anybody that you know has a desire to know what that Vol State 500 is all about, if you will watch that video, you will get an understanding. Okay, we're uh, let's say you know I have the thought I want to do the Vol State. Uh, 500, 314 miles. Okay. So that's so far out of my mind right now. What would you tell somebody that says, I can't do that because I'm too fat. Um, I'm too old. I'm too, what would you tell that person that is like myself defeating himself? Well, if you really want to do it, first of all, it's important to have a good why. Um, It's the same way with you can't say, I want to lose weight because I want to look good. That's not a strong why. Mm. Uh, say I want my blood pressure is high. I want to lose weight. That's not a good why either. In fact, people ask me what my why is for doing this. And I can't really tell you except that it's to put myself to a test. Um, but that's what you have to do. And if you were saying I can't because I'm too this, I'm too that. You have to put that in a drawer and say, why do I want to do it? And it was like me when I got the bug. It was, this is exciting. And the same when I tried to walk across the United States, I wasn't successful. But that was a 30-year dream that I finally said, I'm going to take it out of the drawer and I'm going to actually work on it. And I can at least try to do it. And that's what you have to look at is not, oh, could I be the first person? It's let me work on it. And it's like taking the 314 miles and chunking it down. It's one mile at a time. Or in some cases, it's a couple of feet at a time. It just depends. And that's that's one of your 14 lessons in the book, you know, that chunking it down. Have you always been competitive? Yes. I grew up in a very competitive um, neighborhood. I think my father was probably competitive. But that's just been a part of me. What about, you know, and you, you kind of briefly mentioned it. 
what does the community that you're a part of, you know, as far as the ultra racers and the Vol State, you know, like what does that community mean to you? It's more of a, well, I have no family left, but it's more of a family than my family ever was. And I'll give you a couple of examples. There's these two elite ultra runners. One, this man I just idolized, he finished, I think it was in 2021, it may have been before that, he finished the 314 miles in three days and four hours, um, which is just phenomenal if you wow. think it was in July in Tennessee with all the heat and the humidity. He got a little bit of rest and then he came back through the entire course to see how people were doing and talk to them. And that happened to me with another guy who was very elite, has done the same thing. He treated me like I was everybody else, and I'm not. I'm the last person always. And, but everybody is nice. Um, they treat you like your long-lost friend, and they don't care whether you're first, last, or otherwise. You're just, and they don't care what you look like. They just want you to be out there with them. It's an amazing group of people. What about this last race? You know, take me through, you know, the 10 days, like how many, my, like I can do the math. I know how many you have to do a day pretty much, but you know, like what's your race, like what's your miles per day and give me a couple of examples of places that you may have to sleep along the way. And how does, you know, how do you sleep? Because sleep's pretty important in our life, right? I mean, it's pretty important you know, for our lifespan and our longevity, but in that, you know, in that, especially when you do it um, screwed, you got to be sacrificing sleep. So just kind of take me through without, you ain't got to be ultra sp specific, but like how many miles a day and some of the conditions that you're out there in? Well, you have to do 31 miles a day. And I'm really, except for the first day, well, the first 24 hours, I can generally get 38 to 40 miles. Um, usually it's closer to the 38 and then I'm really on the, the envelope of the 31 and it's actually 31.4 or something like that every day and I have to go on three hours of sleep in a 24-hour period otherwise I won't finish in time wow and that that's the hardest part of the whole thing the heat is bad the humidity is bad um, but I live in Texas so I should be used to that it's still that, that was a lot of what was in, it's not about the miles, was all these things that I was feeling, how much of it was physical, was dehydration, lack of nutrition, and how much of it was mental. That was really an important part of that race. And that's when I got involved more with Brian Kane, as well as Dr. Gilbert, as far as the mental aspect. Uh, and of course, I tuned up on the nutrition and the hydration. But I'll I pretty much know how far I'll get each day. So I either will go to a motel or there are times when I um, sleep on benches. There's a couple of churches that have nice benches. Um, the Dollar General uh, has a nice little porch that you can sleep on the cement. Uh, sometimes cemeteries. I haven't found a good cemetery. The, the thing you want to stay away from is grass. So you don't want chiggers. You probably used to chiggers. <laughs> the last thing I want. But Sure. Uh, pretty lucky um some oh there's a campground uh, one campground that's really nice that we uh, are able to stay at too okay so when you take off screwed you are carrying what you have to have for the trip is that right 
much, yeah, unless it's something, and this take, has taken me many years to get it really down to the bare minimum, because you always, I might need that, I might need that, but you have to think, can I get that? There's a couple of Walmarts, no one wants to go to the Walmarts because their parking lot is so long, and that's a lot of extra steps, but there's a lot of gas stations and convenience stores, so can I get the, whatever I might need, can I get it at a gas station? And the answer most of the time is yes. Okay, so... When you started, what did you have on you? Well, I have um, a vest which has I didn't I, I didn't bring any extra clothes, any extra shoes. That's just unbelievable weight. Uh, I have my medications that, of course, I need that for my epilepsy and my kidney disease. Um, a, a ground cloth that we you can put over you more than underneath you, um, and some basics. My biggest weight has been the electronics because I have macular degeneration, so my night vision sucks. So I need to have at least two headlamps, um, and that is heavy. And then I have a, ch a charger, you know, one of those brick chargers because you yep. don't have places to to charge your devices. Um, so that's my biggest weight is the electronics and, and rain gear, uh, which is really simply a ninety nine cent poncho, but a couple of them. Um, and there's other stuff in there, but it's it's very minimal because the biggest weight is then the water. I have two water bottles and then whatever I snacks and things to eat and you get along the way, you eat that and it goes away. But the, the water is probably the heaviest of all. Well, I noticed in the video that uh, Dr. Gilbert uh, sent me the road angels, as they are known, you would run up on them and they would have sometimes things to eat and drink is that you know is that something as you start the race are you counting on that you can't count on that because they're not required to be there it's not like an aid station in a, in a marathon or something um they're usually pretty dependable in fact this past year i was so disappointed there wasn't i i was hoping to resupply it was the middle of the night in this town and i thought this gas station would be open it wasn't and then I was so disappointed this angel station wasn't where it had been. Well, that was me. It really was where it had been, but I hadn't gotten there yet. But that was my fault. I should have stocked up even before I left in the night. Um, you can't count on anything. You, that's why you, you never pass up an opportunity to top off your water bottles. That's awesome. Tell me this. What did Brian Kane do for you? Um, and I have, I've went through, Brian Kane's mental performance course. It has added value to my life. It has, you know, it has given me, uh, I like to say tools in my tool belt for handling various things. Like what did you get from Brian that was, you know, helpful for you on the road? Well, I, I went through both his course for athletes and then the coaching one, even though they're very similar, it's just a different perspective and it was worth it to do both of them. Things like what's important now, when, but these little things, um, this too shall pass. I don't think that's one of his, but it was one of my mother's. Um, and, and that's very important because if you do a race like this, you're going to go through every emotion, every sensation possible, and you just have to go, okay, I have to get through this. I know it will pass because otherwise you think you're demoralized totally. The, um, I, learned initially about his red light green light yellow light so that's helped me quite a bit even though i don't apply that during the race but the 200 feet all of his little um 
what are they acronym acronyms something sure. like that that's all helped me especially the what's important now i kind of live by that during a race because it's okay put this foot forward that forward and i don't go any further than that yeah he, there are a lots of things in that course that you know are really good and that's you know what i i guess liked about it the most was i didn't know there were so many little uh, activities and drills and things that you could do to help you mentally, you know, like in this sport, I, you know, I coach football. So people spend a ton of time on the physical weight lifting and running. They spend a ton of time on the technical aspects of, you know, the sport, you know, being good technically and being good tactically, like what are we going to run? But very few people are intentional about, you know, what's going on up here? You know, like what is, this is the engine driving the whole thing, you know, like, you know, like it's, it's, some people say it's 90% mental, you know, like without the correct mental thoughts, you're not finishing a race, you know, and we're not going to win a football game because adversity is going to strike. It's going to strike you in your race. It's going to strike you in your life. You know, like, how are you going to handle it? Well, that course gives you ways to handle it. You know, like that was something that I took away from it. I agree completely. And it was, that was, um, it was after 21, after that race, I just knew I could do the physical stuff. Yes, I'm slow and I could eventually get it, but it was the mental that was getting me down. And that's when I really immersed myself in his, Addie Bracey is an ultra runner and she's put out a book on, mental training um for ultra running too but brian kane and dr gilbert i listen to them both in the morning one right after the other and it just kind of cements my day yes it's it's success hotline is the way i start my day I've, I've kind of taught myself the routine or the habit of when my key goes in the ignition of my truck i hit play on success hotline you know now i told dr gilbert today i gotta figure out how to break that habit because I leave to go to work so early that he hasn't changed it yet. So when he has, you know how he does those impromptu, um, we're going to have class tonight at seven o'clock about the one word. I miss those classes because I'm actually a day uh, behind because I listen so early in the morning. So I need to figure out how to change my habit. You know what I mean? I wouldn't necessarily do that. I'm a day behind too, but he doesn't have that many impromptu ones. And I gave him shit for it anyway on the phone when he did that. <laughs> that I'm always a day late. I listen at 4.30 or 5 also. Yes, and well, I'm going to be like you. I'm What I'm going to do is tell him, look, Doc, you know, I've created this habit and it's been going on for a long time. Just send me the email, you know, and I'll see the email and I'll jump on because I do, man. I absolutely love Dr. Gilbert. Like, he's been so good to me that, if I was giving a presentation somewhere, like he'll spend an hour or two with me on a Saturday coaching me up on how to, you know, try to be decent. Because for me, that might be really hard, but he has been absolutely fantastic. All right, tell me this. You know, I saw this in the uh, video at today as well. When you get to the end of the race, when you get to the rock, what is that feeling like? at the end well the feeling at that particular moment is thank god um and 
when can I get down the mountain and go to sleep? It's, it takes, a, I guess if it's the first time you've done it, 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 it probably means more, but now it's like, that's over. I made it. I want to go back to the motel. Um, and then later you start to feel the success, but for, um, it, it's a, I think if you do a good job of chunking it down, it's not such a big rush at the end. It's a good feeling that you've actually succeeded and did the things that you wanted to do and you overcame this obstacle. This past year was full of obstacles and that's what my latest book um, is gonna be about. <laughs> um, but if you chunk it down, then you're excited about each chunk that you've succeeded with. And so it's just a building the whole, Building block, you don't have to jump off the rock and the mountain and go, oh wow, I did it. That type of thing. Did you did you kiss the rock? I don't do that. Because <laughs> if I get down, I'm never gonna get up. So. <laughs> yeah, the guy that I watched the video on, he was a little bit younger and he could jump down there and do it and jump up. But um he said you're supposed to kiss the rock. So I was just curious. Of all your accomplishments. Of and all of us to do that but now they've even put up a railing there so people don't fall off okay of of all the accom accomplishments that you have you know lived and owned and had what is what is the most what's the one or two that make you the most proud of yourself actually this one having done this especially in 22 when i did it finally screwed um this has been the hardest thing that I've ever done. And then I think I'm proud of my attempt to walk across the United States, even though I only made it 716 miles. Um, if I had started earlier, and that's the big piece of advice I could give people is don't bury your dreams, do them when you have them. Um, if I had done this 30 years ago, when I first decided I wanted to do it, I probably would have made it further. But my age kind of caught up with me and my bones and everything else. So um, that's the second most proud, I guess, is the best way to 716 it. miles. I only made it through California and Arizona. I stopped at New Mexico. What happened to, you know, physically to make you stop? I had um, a stress factor for the, well, I had pain, bad pain in my foot and ankle the last 200 miles. And um, I have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon and she was coming back from a cruise and was going home. Anyway, she took a big detour, came to visit me and looked at my ankle and you know she doesn't have x-rays or anything else. And she said, if you weren't going in New Mexico, I might let you go on. But since it's so barren there, she didn't know if it was a, a ruptured a tendon injury or just a stress factor. And if I was out in the middle of nowhere and my tendon either ruptured or my foot really broke instead of just a stress fracture, it would be very hard to get help. So um, if I had made it through New Mexico, I probably could have continued on where it's more populated. Okay. What was the, you know, when you had the dream to do that and you did delay it, you know, you don't, you don't really seem like the delay it type. You know, like what was behind delaying that dream, you know, that you had? Work. Work? It, it takes, well, the, first the Navy and then the, the working for the Army, but um, it helps to eat and therefore you have to get paid. And it would be a six-month trip for me, at least across the United States. And 
I was just very fortunate in 2019, I told them that I was going to retire so that I could do this. And they let me take leave without pay, sort of a sabbatical, which right. was very, I was very blessed um, for that. But there was no way I could do that at any other point in my life and still maintain a living. That's awesome. I feel like you should do, have you ever heard of Snoop Dogg? No. Okay, well, Snoop Dogg is a famous rapper. And one time when he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in Hollywood, at the press conference, he stood up and said, I want to thank me. Like, I want to thank myself because I have done this, this, you know, and some people took that the wrong way. But I actually took that in that, man, he was giving himself credit. How many times have you run across people that don't give themselves enough credit? Right. <laughs> you know, and like you need to give yourself every bit of credit you can give yourself because, you know, you're one of the most amazing humans on the face of the earth, you know, which is why when you're out there doing the Vol State um, 500, I'm just asking a silly question. How many people do you run into out there that are, you know, of your age? Females, uh, nobody. There's, um, I'm the oldest woman to have completed that. Um, there were some men, but they seem to have died off, not physically passing away, but they don't seem to do it anymore. There was a guy who was 81, but I think women are catching up in age now to the ultra runners. And um, there was one woman who was a year and a half or two years younger than me. So there, there's a, a couple of them, but not very many. Well, that's, that's a pretty um, awesome feat. No doubt about it. What about, and I know um, we've been going a while and I want to be, uh, you know, I want to recognize your time. I know it's important. The books, you know, like I, you've written uh, at least three or four that I know of. I've obviously, you know, I've sitting here reading that it's not about the miles I've ordered on the, in the mail is the, from tipping point to uh, turning point. And I know there was a book before all of them about, um, doctors about a, about doctor visits or what was that one it's called your doctor said what um and that was my first book i wrote in 2006 and it i don't even think it's really available i think amazon still shows it but i had to sue the publisher in order to get the rights to the book and it just was a total mess they were incompetent that's why i do self-publishing now like yep. jay does um and so i wrote that and then i wrote that was in 2006, and I wrote It's Not About the Miles, um, which I think was last year. Yep. Did it. Then I did the tipping point, the turning point, and I also did a reflection journal. And yes. now the one, <laughs> the one that's being edited now for publication is called Punched in the Mouth, and it's about all the adversity that I experienced this past summer at ball state so it's like that is awesome I've, I've heard you say i think i've heard you say or it may have been dr gilbert you know the the famous mike tyson saying everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face you know and then what are you going to do that's what happened to me on day one and then it just kind of continued like that and i think god puts all these things there so mm. that i have a book to write about that is writing, which i have a lot of work to do on but um, it's called the other side of the gurney. It's from 
being a doctor to the perspective of being a patient and how cruddy medical care is. And it's not so much the about the organization, it's about the people and how doctors rely on numbers instead of taking care of patients. And there's, you know, you have so much information because I have been on the website, terrywarsbarker.com, T-E-R-R-I-W-U-R-Z, B-A-C-H-E-R.com. And I'm actually going to put the links in the show notes so you can um, pull that up on your own. But there's so much there. T-E-R-R-I-E. T-E-R-R-I-E. I knew that. I can't read my own writing. I will put that link in the show notes when you pull it up. So you'll be able to pull that up. And then, you know, because there's so much information there, you, you've got a, you've got the blogs, the stories, the, you know, it's absolutely fantastic. How did you come by, you know, taking on the project of the books? You know, like I, I have one of my, you know, goals that is scary is writing a book, you know, like how did you, learn how to, what was that process like? Did you have help? Did you figure it out? Like what's the process behind writing the book? Well, the one I did in 2006, I had what's called a vanity publisher. And this guy gave us this, this little quick way to write a book, um, which helped. And, but that was again, a total disaster. I think the book is good, but it, the right. process. In 21, this is how this happened. I mean, I've always loved to write, but I've never taken it on again because I had such a cruddy experience. But on Facebook, which is actually the better place for people to find me is, is Facebook. Yes. Um, but this guy, I, they knew I was out there. Everybody knew I was out there. But this guy I used to work with, he kept going, what is this all about? He obviously just tuned in and didn't realize. And I didn't have time to tell him. Well, a friend of mine went ahead and replied to his comment and said, it's a metaphor for life. And that just stuck with me that the whole race was a metaphor for life. And so even though it was an adverse filled experience for me, it was every place I went, I tried to, in my brain, as I was going along during the race, try to figure out what parts of my life and my career were equivalent to this. And then I just kind of regurgitated it all out. It kind of came that way. I had a friend who helped me her daughter is a proofreader, so she did that. And then the friend helped me get it on Amazon. But Jay, I, I didn't know Jay at that time, but I think he would have helped me um, if I needed it too. Yeah, well, it's absolutely fantastic. I want to make sure for everybody that I got the spelling right so I don't mess that up. It's T-E-R-R-I-E-W-U-R-Z-B-A-C-H-E-R. -E -E and like she said, the best way you can locate her is on Facebook, but she also has the website that is phenomenal. There's all types of information on the website. And I can't tell you how well written, you know, like the fact that you write as well as you write, you know, is a gift because everybody can't do that. Like your stories, the way the book is put together, you know, you wouldn't think that this book right here that I'm holding, it's not about the miles was somebody's second book they ever wrote, you know, like it's, it's really good. The life lessons in it are fantastic. So, you know, I hope that those listening will, um, you know, get the book. And I think I read this and I, I think it may be, uh, you tell me if I'm wrong from tipping point to turning point yeah. that you actually make like 30 something cents a book. Yeah. 
Like, why why not jack the price up and make you some money? Because I don't need the money, and I, the, especially in that one, the message of that one is so important that I wanted to price it as low as possible so people could afford it. I'm not into $20 for a, a book I wrote. I mean, I want people to be able to get something out of it. I knew you were going to say that, so I was asking a, a a a question that I knew the answer to. But I also want people because I've not read that book yet. That book is actually, you know, on its way to my house, and I cannot wait because I do know that you have had battles in your life that may not have been shared, and it's not about the miles, but it is shared in from tipping point to turning point. And I do know that. There are lots of people in this world right now that are struggling with something, you know, and I think one of the ways that, and Dr. Gilbert's great about this, one of the ways, probably the most, the the easiest way for us to learn is from stories, you know, stories stick, you know, and when we hear stories of other people or, you know, like with your story and Dr. Gilbert talking about it every day on the hotline, you know, like. I'm in Nixon, Missouri, pulling up on my laptop on this website, seeing where you are every day, you know, and I'm like, I'm a fan and I don't even know you. But the, the inspiration, we all need inspiration, you know, and the fact that you can go out there, you know, and have seven decades up under your uh, belt loop and complete a 13, a 314 mile race screwed toting what you is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, it makes me want to be a better human. And I think this, the people that I've interviewed on this podcast and the people that have come in contact with me in my life, the ones that make me want to be a better human are the ones that I'm drawn to, you know? So I'm tickled to death that, you know, you're on here and I hope everybody will, you know, buy the books. And when you get on her uh, website, you can get a link to all the books and they're also on Amazon, which is where I bought mine. Let me ask you this. What is, um, I made a note getting unstuck, getting unstuck LLC.com. What is that? Was my business. Um, when the woman that I told you, the metaphysical minister, yep. she and I, uh, when I moved here, um, she and I started a business again. It wasn't a profitable thing, but we wanted to be able to get the word out. Um, so we would do what's called teleseminars. I don't know if people remember those, but that was before webinars. Yep. And that way from all over could listen and she would give a class and we'd laugh and have fun every week. Um, and then I'd post stuff on the, on the website as well. Well, I know it's probably not uh active but i do know there's a lot of information there that you can still go pull up and read uh yeah. the stories and things so i want i'm gonna put that website i'm gonna put a link to that too all right tell me what's what's next um well i'm next week i'm going to arizona to do what's called across the years it's a six-day race and it's um it's a six-day event. It's not for me. It's not really a race, but it's it's what's called a fixed time. You just go around and around in a. This is a one and a half mile circle, um, to do as many miles as you can. Then in February, I'm doing a hundred mile, a hundred hour race with Jay, and then I'm going to do a two hundred mile race. And then in April, I think there's another two hundred mile race, and then I'll do Ball State again in July. Wow. Then I love that. You got it. You got it all planned out in the race coming up this week. 
um, the mile and a half loop. Do you have the six day event? Do you have a goal? I'm I'm hope well yes and no I'm hoping mileage wise to get to 200 but what's more important for me is because of some of the physical complications I had in July I really have to focus on my posture which stinks and it's given me a lot of back problems so that's more of my focus can I get through these six days um, doing an okay mileage without having the same problem. So that's an important thing. And that's why I think people need to realize what it is they're after. Uh, you know, that sounds like a stupid goal to some people, but I've done 200 miles before. That's not a big deal. This trying to fix my posture before July is much more important. So that's the, a lesson I've learned in July, this past July. And then again, this past November, I mean, three weeks ago when I was doing marathons, it came on again. So I really want to work on that. And it's a perfect opportunity. Man, that's, uh, that's awesome. That Dr. Gilbert has a, a formula that talks about none of us are lacking the talent. What we're lacking is the strategy, you know, and that's what I think about when you say that, like, you know, what you can go do, like you are actually strategizing for future races, you know, like, can I do this, you know, physically, how do I feel in that race? I'm just curious, what are, you know, it's six days. Am I, can you come off the course? Can you sleep? Can you, it, you can, you could even, I don't ever do this because it's a waste of time, but some people come, they walk pretty much during the day. They can drive to a motel. I'll sleep in either a tent or my car. Um, and, but I could, I could walk one mile and be done with it. I could walk 300 miles if I was that good and be done with it. So I, it's all about me. I can do what I want, when I want. And that's the key, the fun part. There's really not that pressure like there is in Tennessee. That you have to do this, that, and the other thing. This is pretty, it's pretty easy. But one of the biggest challenges is getting through the monotony because of going around and around in a circle for all that time. How long will you keep competing? You mean in my life? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I haven't planned anything past Ball State this summer because I want to wait and see. There's a couple of fall races I would like, but I'm not. I, I spent eight months last year being injured one after the other, and I know that was what's called mind-body. I was creating those. <clears throat> I didn't know that at the time, but... Um, that's why I'm just going to wait and see what happens after. I, I want to go. There's a big event I want to do in 2025 overseas. Um, it's a trail I want to go on. That's awesome. Okay, a couple of silly questions to, to end this thing up. What makes Dr. Terry happy? Writing. Wow. Great answer. But I didn't realize that either. And I was having this existential crisis early in the fall. Um, I was turning 75. I'd had these injuries. I was tired. I have lung problems, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm going to die. You know, it just was horrible. And then I started writing in November because there's a, it's a writing month, so to speak. Um, and I realized that was what was invigorating me. I love walking. I, if I could run, that would have been my first answer. But I like walking. 
I love running more, but I can't do that. So writing is really, even when I write in my journal in the morning, I, it just stimulates me for the day. That's awesome. What about a favorite book that you've ever read? Wow. Uh, there's so many of them, but um, pretty much anything by Napoleon Hill, um, the laws of success, think and grow rich, so success through a positive mental attitude. Um, I'm a now a big reader. I didn't read that much when I was other than medical books. Uh, and I regret that. Now I try to read at least one, if not two books a week. So right. I love you being able to do all of that. Yeah. I love, I love me some books, man. I mean, cause it's an opportunity to learn and like you, I regret I didn't start that earlier. You know, if, if, you know, I could go back, that's something that would, that's a habit I would pick up earlier, you know, um, because you get to learn so many things like, you know, one of the things I learned, I, I wanted, everybody talked about Abraham Lincoln. So I read an Abraham Lincoln autobiography and, you know, it was as if I knew him, you know, like I learned everything about him. And I know, you know, you said this too shall pass. This too shall pass was Abraham Lincoln, you know, and it gave me the ability today in the school building. I have a little duty post um, during break time and this little girl standing there and she's just crying. She's crying. She's and I don't know what's wrong with her. So I just walk up, put my arm around her, give her a hug. And I say, hey, Abraham Lincoln said this too shall pass. And she got a little smile on her face and it made me feel better that, you know, at least maybe she was you know, not as sad for a moment. So that's what reading has been able to do. What about a uh, favorite movie? Um, you ask me all these things that I'll think of tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> there's two actually that are important. One is The Sound of Music and only because I saw that the other night and I looked at it with a much different perspective. But the other is a movie called The Doctor, which not a lot of people have seen it's called by with William Hurt. And it's about this doctor that gets cancer and he now has to experience being a patient, which Ooh. is what I'm writing in the book. And uh, I think every doctor should watch that movie. But of course, it's there's nothing I can do about that. But there's a lot of other movies, but I'm not now a big movie goer. So. You know, one of my... Uh, there's a business coach, uh, maybe Tom Peters, but he does a deal on listening. And he says part of his deal is, uh, and Dr. Gilbert has shown that doctors don't listen, you know, like you only have so many seconds before they start telling you what's wrong with you. And, you know, do you think that's, uh, do you think that's accurate? Well, no, I think it's actually, he said 18 seconds. And I think that's longer than what it really is. Right. You know, I, I, that's that's interesting that you say that. And I would, you know, I would probably be interested in that book, you know, like with the doctoring, with the, you know, the care and the the whole the way it works would be very interesting. So, well, have you got anything else you'd like to share or like to promote before you get off of here? Because it has been absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you. I'm very honored to have been on your podcast and thank you for engaging me with so many questions. I love talking, as you can tell. I hope well, you're bored. So. Well, one of the things we, we need to do is one of the things you need to put on your agenda is you start a podcast because you would have some awesome people 
in your hip pocket to interview, you know, the people that you've met, you know, the people that's helped you along the way. Um, I think you would be outstanding at it. Thank you. I, it's it's a, something I want to do, but I just don't have the guts yet. Well, you know what? I can't imagine you ain't got the guts for something because you seem to me you got guts for a lot. And if I can help you, because, you know, that was my 20, one of my 2022 goals was to start a podcast and I failed. I just did. I didn't get it done. I did get it done halfway through 2023. Like it just takes me a while, but you know, like Dr. Gilbert says, I keep my, I keep my uh, goals in my wallet. And so I see them a lot. So it stays, you know, it stays in my mind, you know, like, so I am glad that I did it. And if you want to do it, I've got a couple of people that are podcast gurus that could actually help you. Jay, Jay could probably help you by now. Um, but I've got a couple other people that, you know, I had a guy that just helped me. I couldn't have done it without him. And he did a lot of it for me. And I learned in the process how to do it. But, you know, I will definitely help you out in that sense um, if I can. For everybody listening, I want to say thank you for being a part. I want to say thank you for listening. I know you will have found this absolutely outstanding and inspiring. And we all need to be inspired and dr terry inspired us today so i can't wait for the comments the emails the text that i will get about you know how great you were today and how inspiring that you know you have inspired them to be better because there's a lot of us sitting around that do have the dreams and do have the desires we just need that ah we need that shove you know to go get it and you know, you have shoved me today. So thank you very much for being a part of the show. I'm going to put all of the links to, you know, the Facebook, the websites, the books. I'm going to put actual the links to the books so they can buy them um, in the show notes. And I'll put that out on social media as well so people can find them because, you know, the writing is spectacular. And, you know, when I ask you, you know, what makes you happy? And you said writing, very fitting because, you write like a person that loves what they do. You know, it is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, if I can ever help you, which I probably cannot, but if I can, you reach out, you got you a friend in Nixon, Missouri. I promise you that. Okay. Um, thank you for everybody listening. And, you know, until next time, adios amigos.